Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I'm Cindy Coaches. I enjoy spending time with best-selling authors, writers, editors, publishers, and creative souls to talk about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as an author from the moment we put pen to paper. Joining me in the studio today is Mary McGuire. Mary is a transformation consultant and the author of The Female Edge and Coming Home to You. In 2006, she started Agents to Change to bring a values-led approach to organizational transformation. Welcome, Mary. It is wonderful to have you here on the podcast. Well, thank you, Cindy. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to talk about all things books and writing with you today. <laughs> yes, it's always so much fun to to talk about the writing process, the journey, what got us going, you know, in that direction. Because even though each of us has an independent story, there are so many elements of it that are very similar and it's nice to know that we're not the only one that's feeling like really I gotta do this today or yay this is what it feels like you know it's nice to be able to share that quote-unquote with someone (laughs) absolutely I I think we I mean generally I think that we undervalue how important our story is to the world so it doesn't matter how um humble that story is or how how we maybe feel that we haven't touched that many lives the reality is there will be something in that story which is an inspiration to other people and I think that's what often gets in the way of us even putting pen to paper and starting uh, starting to write is because we believe that you know we are insignificant and our story is insignificant and I think that's 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 one of the things that is is one of the big wrongs in the world that we all we, we tend to place more because we don't believe our story is is relevant. You hit on something that is so powerful, and it is that self. You know, when we look in the mirror, how do we feel about self, and and how do we talk to ourselves, and how do we feel about ourselves? I mean, truly, you really hit it on the head about. You know, how do we feel? Do we feel insignificant? If we feel ins- insignificant, how are we going to move forward? You know, how how are we energetically and mentally and physically going to move whatever project it is that we dream of doing? How are we going to move it forward? Um, so one question I wanted to to ask, actually, it it's a lead into a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was looking at both your books earlier this morning, and both of your books have a focus on transformation. It's very clear. I mean, look at the titles to your books. <laughs> and typically authors write about topics that they are very familiar with. And mm-hmm. And of course, we add our, you know, elements of ourself into the storyline because that's our basis is, is our own experiences. So what inspired you to write Coming Home to You? Mm, that was my first book. So that was out about four years ago. 
And um, essentially, I had to make a journey back to myself. I, I, I got lost along the way of, you know, surviving difficult childhood circumstances where there was a lot, it was very dysfunctional and there was lots of um, uh, anguish around growing up in, 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 the, in the family that I had. Um, going into um, work with no qualifications, left school with no qualifications, and then finally finding a way um, through that, going back to college, getting my qualifications, getting into a career, my first career was social work, and then moving into the big transformation space that I'm in now, which is as a consultant with global companies, um, and doing very well. But what happened with that outward success was I, I had an internal implosion uh, which came out in um, health so my health went um, uh, went haywire and I, I was working very hard I was I was traveling all around the world because my uh, clients were global so I had to go wherever the work was so that was places in Europe and it was in Russia and Azerbaijan it was in Africa and Angola and in the US and all over very interesting very interesting looks glamorous from the outside it's actually just exhausting most of the time but I was so busy on that external I was missing some quite fundamental spiritual development and what happened was I got very ill in Angola uh, ended up in hospital came back and then my my um immune system went into free fall um because i had just um brought in a a virus or a bug that actually attacked all of my immune system so it took me and i just about scraped through managing to get some work done i had to drop a lot of my clients um but actually trying to find my way through it there was two big turning points in that the illness itself served its purpose so its purpose was wake up mary you're going through life, you're sleepwalking through life, you're, you're, you're focusing purely on the idea that external success is success, um, and you're failing to acknowledge anything internally that's important for you. So the reason I called it coming home to you is because I believe all of us have this journey that when we're born and we're, we're in our childhood um, situation, we're just getting to know who we are. Then we go out into the world as a young person and we go further and further out into the world to explore it. And we, not always, but often get disconnected with who we are. And then at some point we have to stop that and say, okay, how do I come back to myself and find out who I am now? So the coming home to you is about coming back to ourselves again. And that was the journey I had to go on. And, and what I learned was I had to take responsibility for my health because the doctors were quite frankly useless. I was going from one specialist to the next to the next. Each one of them was treating just a portion of my problem, not all of it. They weren't looking at me holistically at all. And I was getting incredibly frustrated, getting more and more drugs being given to me to solve this problem and that problem and the other problem, none of them solving anything. And uh, it, I went to an energy practitioner and she did some wonderful realigning of my chakras, which if you're uh, viewers aren't familiar with they're based on the meridian lines or the energy lines in our body and we have seven particular junctions and points which we call chakras um, uh, and she realigned all of them and I can't say I walked out of her um, consultation room like walking on air and everything was different but I felt something fundamental had shifted Mm -hmm. and I realized I had to take the journey inward and I had to take responsibility for my own health as I do my own my own life and my intentions and my goals and everything else, it all started with understanding that. 
And it was from that journey back to health and the understanding of what dropped me off the health scale and what brought me back onto it. And then the, all of the wonderful habits and, and realizations and um, new ways of thinking of the world that I learned through that journey was what I shared. You know, that, again, like I said at the beginning, writers have so many things that are very individual, but yet when we sit back and and we evaluate what's going on outside of us quite often we're not the only one going through it and you know it's not that it's common and i most certainly am not downplaying any of it because it is that that catalyst that says like you said that that reigns us in whoa, wait a minute, how do I take care of me? How do I become responsible for myself? Mm -hmm. I'm not good to the world, you know, if I'm not taking care of me and I'm, you know, it, it's not that you're not good to the world. I shouldn't say it that way. But anyway, you know what I'm trying to say, yeah. that it's difficult for us to participate in, in the way we imagine we are, um, when we're not actually physically, energetically, mentally capable of being there for, if we're not there for ourselves, we can't be there really for, for other people. And that has been a hard concept for me to really sit back and like, whoa, <laughs> okay, so now what do I do with this information, which I think mm -hmm. is we all kind of go through when we hit that, like you said, when we get so disconnected from self and we're like, wait a minute, who am I? What am I doing? <laughs> Is this really what I want? <laughs> and yes, yeah. external success, you know, that has been something that we have been taught is a must. You must look good on the outside. <laughs> Forget about the inside. Eh, who needs to work on that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it is really strong. And it's almost like seen as a, a bad word, self-care and, and me time and, uh, and being, you know, selfish, uh, as in attending to self first. Um, it's, you know, it's got such negative connotations. Now, clearly, you can take it to the extremes. And we all know people who take it to the extremes, and they're not helpful to anyone. But, but generally, I think that 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 analogy with the oxygen mask that we all are familiar yes. with is a very true one, you know, put your own mask on first before helping somebody else. It's a really good metaphor for life. Because if we don't attend to the things of our own needs, what we do is we end up going to other people with all of these unmet needs playing out in the background while we're trying to help or hinder or something yeah. in between yeah. other people around us. So the reality is that that, that internal um, maintenance, that internal love, that internal compassion is key to us being able to achieve anything successful. Yes. And it's such an important conversation, especially nowadays, since the world has been going through this transformational period, uh, unlike anything, you know, are, you know, you're, you're in which country? I'm in England. Yes. So it's a British accent you can hear. I'm in England. <laughs> I thought I would make sure that everybody knows that we're in two separate countries. 
I'm mm -hmm. sitting in the state of Michigan in the United States. She's sitting in, in England. And so the whole world has been impacted. And mm -hmm. the other message that I really want to bring awareness to is the fact that you have had a much different cultural upbringing than what I have. I mean, we're in two countries, two different countries, but yeah, we're so similar in many ways because generically put, we've gone through similar things, not the same uh, experiences, but we're sitting back and going, yep, I got to take care of me. And yes, for a long time, it was so selfish. How dare you take care of yourself? You need to take care of me first. You know, the other person saying, you know, how dare you? And um, I need you to take care of me. And we were taught, again, that it is something to give to others. Yeah. We were never taught receive, mm. give, yeah. give, mm -hmm. give. <laughs> so what was the passion that fueled uh you to write the female edge well that was a continuation so even though um I, i've brought more mindfulness and more of the what i'd call successful habits and better lifestyle habits into the work i do with my corporates that still remains my main focus and what i observed was that that when I worked on big transformation projects and something was delivered that was important to the organization, I would see that the senior male um, members of the team would often do very well as a result. They would get promotion quite quickly or they'd be given their new a new area to look after. And the female leaders who would also have been equally pivotal in the delivery of things weren't doing so well. And I, I, I seen that all the way through the organization. They, they, they just uh, didn't reach the same heights. They weren't uh, promoted as quickly. They weren't given the same opportunities. There weren't the, the risk. There weren't the same risks taken on them that there would be of, of their male colleagues, even though they probably had more abilities. And and so it was recognizing that uneven playing field that I felt I I, I wanted to step in and champion that more fully. So the book is about how can women find their path to leadership success in corporate or as a solopreneur or in a, a, a more independent path or even in their you know their own life you know their, mm -hmm. their their life with their family but how can they find success which is meaningful to them and is based on their own terms as opposed to constantly trying to play the rules of a playing field which is much more geared towards men and men's success and men's behavioral needs as well uh, which doesn't actually always uh, align with the way that women see the world and the way that women want to show up. Right, because men and women have, a, what's what was that book? Men are from Mars, women are ver, from Venus. Yes. We think yeah. different, we react different, and mm -hmm. that's genetics. And mm -hmm. um, it, I would say, it's, it, I think part of it is genetics. Um, but I think part of it is the socialization process. So, uh, you know, and we can see this across different cultures and things is what we do is as soon as a, a baby is born 
and we put a gender on it. There's all sorts of expectations that are placed on that baby based on that gender. And with them, expectations become behavioural expectations as well, as well as life expectations and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And we see as a result of that, that, you know, many, it's more go-getting, you know, being into sports and competitiveness and being mm-hmm. assertive and even being aggressive to a point is seen as good. You know, that's what we want from our men. And then women, it's been much more gentle, being kind, being supportive, being there as a, uh, as a person who can help other people to do well. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that women aren't socialised to be successful because clearly they are and there's lots of successful yeah. women out there. But generally, there's a very different set of messages that go, go to them. And if women tend to have behaviours which are seen as more masculine in their traits based on the way that we see things in society, they're often um, given a much harsher consequences in terms of that not being acceptable than you would with men who would behave, behave in the same way. So, so the whole way that things work, I think, is as much to do with, as a society, how we define gender as it is to do with genetics. Agreed. You know, and as soon as I said that, I thought that that doesn't kind of roll in how things are now. Because there has been a huge shift in how uh, we we as individuals respond to <coughs> excuse me how we respond to uh, the different individuals and where they're at, and then of course um, in the last again our roles in in so many aspects of life have changed in the last year and a half with with this whole uh, COVID pandemic. The EDGE model, again, I went on to your website and did a little exploring. And the EDGE model, it has four stages of transformation Mm -hmm. uh, for female leaders. Uh, Can you share with us what those four stages are? I will. And I'll just share two premises behind it. I've already talked about one premise, which was the uneven playing field. And there's two of us which then drive what, how I've written the book and the messages. So the first one is the one I've already talked about from my first book, which is success is an inside job. So, so for us to find success on the outside, we have to understand who we are, what we're about, what's important to us. And then the other premise is that change happens through action. It doesn't happen through ideas. It doesn't happen through theories. It doesn't happen through, um, uh, through, through knowledge. It happens through what we do with all of that information that we've got stored in our mind. So what are the actions we take? What are the new steps? What are the new habits we form to help us to move to a new stage and therefore to have some transformation in our life? And they can be micro habits or they can be major life changes, but whatever it is, as long as it's an action, it will result in change. And so as a result of that, this book, like the, like the first one, very practical. It turns into uh, practical things quite quickly because that's what I want people to do, move to action quickly. Mm-hmm. And the four stages to help people to do that are the first one, uh, the first E is evaluate what got you here. So what have been the influences and drivers of my journey to date? I, I talk about it in terms of career journey, but you could talk about it in life journey. I, it, it works the same in, if you do biographical work as well. Is like, what have been the things that have been positive experiences? What have been the negative? What, what influenced me to take them decisions? Why did I? What did I move on to? How did that help? And with them insights, we have a great 
understanding of what have been the things that have been maybe driving me and have they been things I have really liked and, and got some benefit from or have they been things that have actually not served me well and have left me in a in a state of, of being not very happy. Once we've evaluated it, we can then go to the second step, which is define where you want to go. So understanding where we are, how we got here and why we're here, we can then make better decisions about where we want to go. And I use a framework called a vision and roadmap, which is based from my strategic models with companies, really. But it works very well in the personal sphere. If, if we looked at a, a, between a two and a five year timeline, what would be the big vision I'd want to achieve? And what are the different areas of my life that I would be working on and taking action in to help me to go towards that vision? And I tend to put that in a much wider context because it's not just about your, your current role. It's not about your organisation. Um, it's not just about the discipline that you're working in. There might be all sorts of influences there, but it's also about your family life. It's also about your community. It's also about your finances. So there's all sorts of other areas that also are brought into that map as well to help you to define how do I get to a vision which is holistic to me and my life goals, not just about the next level of job I'm looking for. And then the third step is grow into your ideal leader. So what are the habits? What are the skills? What are the ways of thinking, behaving um, and uh, expressing myself that will help me to become the leader that I see myself being in the future? And as I said, although I work a lot in the corporate world, so I'm talking about it in terms of corporate environments, that works as well, whether you're a solopreneur, um, whether you're somebody that's actually got a community um, role that you do voluntary or paid, or even if you're in a family situation and you're bringing up children, all of them are leadership roles. So I think it helps with all of them. And then the final one is um, empower your success. So that's around what are the things that I can do to help myself. So some of that we've talked about, like me time, understanding what are the ways I can re-energize myself, um, reconnect to my values, reconnect to the things that are important to me so that I can actually then be there for other people in a meaningful way. But it's also about building a community of other people who support you. So your little, um, your little team of cheerleaders. <laughs> and your cheerleaders might take very different forms so one of them might be you know a, a a director in the company that you're working in who has worked there for many years and has got a really good reputation and can help you along your career a male or female a director that might be or it might be some really good friends of yours that you know that you can trust and you can speak to and you can share things or it might be past bosses or past colleagues so there could be a whole range of people but who are the people around you that you can use to bounce things off that you can get ideas from that you can actually go to and, and share some thoughts with early thoughts of something you're thinking of doing and maybe getting their ideas about whether you're right for that whether you've got the skills for it and whether this is the right time for you because people who you know and trust and to a certain extent have got a loving relationship with let's not talk about the director in that sense let's talk about friends um no. you can actually you can get the right sort of feedback that you can hear because you're in a place where you know that you're understood that you're listened to and that you're heard as an individual and i i appreciate the getting the feedback from those who know how you work, who know your strengths and, and some of your weaknesses, because we as individuals 
tend to not see our own weaknesses and our own strengths because, you know, I have a friend that will tell me, you know, oh, you're so great at X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I am. And Mm -hmm. it's natural to me. I can, you know, I just do this. And she's like, I can't, you know, where, you know, and then where we think we're brilliant, (laughs) you know, take me again as the example, you know, I'm, I, when I'm recording the podcast, I think, oh my goodness, I sound brilliant. I'm asking the right questions. I'm, I'm moving through and then I go to edit it and I hear, you know, you know, you know, you know, so, (laughs) and long drawn out ants. And it's like, whoa, (laughs) okay. So I'm not this great, brilliant podcast interviewer, but Hey, I'm doing it. So, okay. I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> but let me just say, you are a very good podcast interviewer. But I, uh, but sometimes, you know, that sort of feedback is unrelenting, isn't it? Because even me, when I when I do a video, I do lots of video uh, content, and I listen to it back, and I cringe inside because of something I hear. So sometimes we are our worst critics with things like that, you know, because when yeah. we hear it, we're not always loving to ourselves about how we'll hear it and the and the and the, the filters we will use. Right. And so it is good. And of course, in in our minds, you know, we plan out these great ideas and oh, this is so going to work. And then we tell somebody and they're and they all they have to do is ask one question. And typically it starts with how. <laughs> and it's like, uh, uh, oh, you know, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> But, you know, our imaginations are there for a reason. They they fuel us and inspire us. Um, <laughs> but anyways, what was for you uh, with, um, with writing either of your books? I'll let you choose which book uh, to, to tackle this question with. What was one of the biggest lessons that you learned from writing? And just do it. Um, I think I read um, Stephen King's On Writing, which is a great book. If you, it, it, he's more towards fiction, but it's still a great book. And he says, if you want to write, write. Don't talk about writing. Don't think about writing. Um, don't put it down in a planner that you'll do writing. Just do it. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of um, uh, wisdom in that, even though it thinks like, well, is that advice? <laughs> it is advice. <laughs> Um, but what I did with both of the books is I, I carved out time. Well, first of all, I'd set the intention that I was going to write the book. Mm-hmm. And I talk about intentions being very different from an idea or a target or a goal. All of them are important. But when you've put an intention behind it, what you're saying is I'm going to put my internal energy and my mind to the task to make sure I get it done because it's important to me if we set a goal that can be externally driven so it means like yeah I'd really like to get you know I'd like to get 30 pounds lighter by an x amount of time but we sort of know we're not going to put the energy into it so intention is a little bit deeper it's a bit like goal goal setting but it's deeper we know we internally we're connected to it we're going to do it so my intention was there for both books at the very beginning 
And then I carved out time. So what I did with this second one was I actually went on a, a group writing program because I knew I could do it on my own, but I wanted to be efficient. I didn't want to take a long, drawn out process to do it. The, the first book took me nine months to do. Um, this book took me three months to do. Um, so I was just much quicker. And some of what I, I did, it was part of the program, but it was also part of me is you write the first draft in six weeks. And every day, apart from the weekends, every day for six weeks, I got up at 5am. And I made sure I wrote for a minimum of one hour or 1000 words, whichever came first, or whichever one that actually felt like it was the natural stop for me. Um, uh, before I stopped. So I did it before any of my normal day had started, because what I understood was, if I left it into my normal day, I'd allow things like emails and phone calls and client deadlines and all sorts of things to distract me because they would see as important. Um, whereas actually, if I, if I carved out the time separate from my normal working day, it could work. Now, I'm not really a really early bird person. There are people who probably listen to your program more. I'm not, but I'm also not a night, night owl. So I know my creativity has dried up by about 5 p.m. my mm -hmm. time. So there's no point me trying to carve it out in the evening. So it's a stretch for me. I do get up and I'm bleary eyed, but it doesn't matter. That's my goal. And I set an intention to do it in a certain amount of time. Once you've got the, the first draft out of the way, it does become so much easier because it's like anything. Once you haven't got a blank piece of paper in front of you, once you're looking at words and you're editing words and you're restructuring it, it becomes a much easier process. Mm -hmm. So taking that time for the first draft is essential because from there you can move to the next stage. You know, you, you brought up something that is important to mention is knowing when your creative time is when are you more likely to put down the words on a page is that are you more creatively inspired in the morning is it two o'clock in the afternoon is it eight o'clock at night after the kids have gone to bed and and it's finding our own rhythm because to me i'm that early morning writer that's when before I even open my email, that's when I try to write. Or it in reverse, there are some days where two o'clock in the afternoon when I've tackled the emails, I've I've assisted this client and, and that virtual client and um you know so forth. And it's like, ooh, you know what? The, and, and all it takes is that little spark. That would be, oh, I need to add that. And then I, you know, sit down and, oh my goodness, an hour goes by and it's, you know, I lose time when I'm writing. <laughs> I don't know if you do. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, so yeah, that's uh, finding our own rhythm and mm -hmm. allowing it to be flexible. Not that you have to have this rigid, you know, 10 a.m. every day you know some days it might be 8 a.m. some days it might be you know six o'clock at night when you're doing something complete you know eating dinner at the dinner table and you just write it off on a sheet of paper how do you feel we can inspire more writers to share their own stories and their passion because like you mentioned both your stories were on your experiences, your health, your travels, your stress levels, your successes, and, and so forth. So 
how do you feel that we, you and I here on this podcast, can inspire more writers to share their stories and, and their passions? And mm. um, I think the first one is believe that the story that you have is a valid one and one that people want to listen to. You know, most most would be right to stop at that first step, which is, well, who would listen to me? And I've read X's book or Y's book, and they were so much better, and I could never achieve that standard. And they stop at the first hurdle. Um, but it's 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 don't stop there. It's like start where your story leads you, and just write it down as it comes out. So one of the things I do, um, and my first book. Um, I wrote a lot like this is I, I like longhand so I like a journal mm-hmm. and um, uh, if you're somebody that actually has moments of, um, of brilliance during your day and then they they get lost in your busyness and you never follow them up is have a get yourself a journal which is a special journal for your writing it's not a work journal it's not your daily diary it's not anything else it's a journal which you know you're going to write down your writing ideas and then whenever you have a moment is pop them down and you know it it doesn't matter where you start but start somewhere and then just follow it on when you whatever you've written down is follow it on with a few questions of why is that important why did I write that now why is that something that I think other people want to hear? So have some why questions and use them to follow on whatever you've started and just start like that. And then within a few weeks of even doing journal writing like that, you've probably got enough to transcribe either um, using a, an audio uh, app if you don't like typing or typing. I actually like longhand typing because there's something that goes on in my brain that actually filters it. So there's a natural editing process for me then. Um, but even you can re- you can read it out to an app um, and then just see how that comes through and then start to think about how you might structure that into a book that actually has meaning for other people. I like that. I couldn't have said that any better. <laughs> and that is a very honest statement. I don't think I could have said that any better. <laughs> um how did the process of writing your your most recent book, how did it really begin for you? What was that spark that says, oh, I need to write this down. I need to write another book. Yeah. Well, how it came out, this one, which was it, it was quicker to do and it was more focused was because I, I as well as doing my corporate work with my clients, I do a lot of um, female coaching programs as well. So I either go into organizations and do group programs or individual um, client work. So I have a whole range of um, uh, tools and techniques and um, models, either my own that I've created or ones that are more generic that I use that actually I bring women on a journey to help understand themselves and what they want in life and then go forth and get it and have lots of success stories through that coaching and it was realizing at the end of last year I thought actually this would make a really good book I could actually put this into a structure and put it into a book so it was the end of last year I realized that and then at the beginning of this year I set an intention I'm going to write a book this year which was really clear it was one of my intentions and I went on a book builder program Uh, it's called book builder a program that actually just helps you to structure your way through it 
the last one I used to coach. So what I've learned, you know, as a coach and as somebody who goes in and advises organizations is that if you've never written a book before, I've done a lot of writing, a lot of professional writing and blogging and all sorts of things. But if you've never written a book before, it's a much easier journey to go on with somebody. So I used a book coach on my first book. I used the book builder program on my second book. And it just allowed me to have some discipline, some tram, uh, tram lines for me to write within and a structure and, and steps that I would follow to get me to the to, to the manuscript at the end. So it only took three months from beginning to end to get from starting to get to the manuscript that was going to the publisher. And congratulations on being able to do that in, in three months and have that dedication and the powerful intention set that I am doing this. And there's obviously a lot that motivated you, a lot behind the scene that motivated you to do that. Because if we don't have the motivation, you know, it can take us six years to write a book. Or or if we don't have the clear vision of what is the point of this book, then, you know, we're just putting words on the page. And, you know, when we go back to read it, it's like, what was the point of this? Where, where was I going with this content? And, you know, the next person is going to read this and, and it's, it's going to lead them to nowhere. It's going to lead them down that dead end road. That's like, Hmm, why did we travel here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So to have that clear. You've said something really important there, actually, which and this is different from um, I don't know if you get novel writers on because I've, I've also got a novel in tow, but it's I'm forever playing with that. But even with novels, but nonfiction, one of the most important things to think about, and I wasn't as clear about that with coming home to you, but I was with this second book, The Female Ages, who is your ideal reader? And right. in coming home to you, I said, everyone like this book can help anyone it's about life and it's about it's about habits and it's about mindfulness and yeah great it could help anyone um but by being so unspecific with my readership I wasn't clear about drawing in the right reader so in the second book I was really clear about who is my ideal audience who is my ideal reader so if you're writing a book, particularly a non-fiction one, it's really good to have in mind who is my ideal reader. Even if it could serve everyone and it could be beneficial for everyone, just be really clear about but who would be the ideal person. As I'm writing it, imagine them sitting opposite me on the table and actually I'm almost speaking the conversation to them that I'm writing down because that helps you to be really, really clear about your message and how to structure your message. And then once you've got the book out, because you know it's not it's not a a, a a road to glory or a road to riches publishing books it's just a very expensive hobby generally um but once you've got the book out you then have to be able to talk about it and market it and share it with people and the more you're clear about who it is for the easier it is to do that you bring on such an important i i'll tell you you and i are, are most certainly fueling the conversation and uh, it, it it we keep bringing up very powerful points and uh, and important ones that need to be shared because there are those writers that are like you said at the very beginning feel insignificant in sharing their story 
And it's like, no, 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 your words have power, you know, and that's been the whole point of this podcast is to remind everyone, your words have power, no matter who you say them to, whether it's yourself, whether it's, you know, to somebody else, to the stranger at the post office, um, your friend at the grocery store, your mother on the phone, your words have power. And the other part of what I share is your story matters. Your story matters. It matters that we share our truth and share what we feel and share how, because generically put, we all want to help somebody. We all want to guide somebody. We all have that tendency to want to reach back and help that person that's two steps behind and say, here, come here. I I can help you. I've navigated that trail. It's a sucky trail. You want to avoid this. You want to do that, you know, and we all have these pearls of wisdom that we share and Mm -hmm. we don't realize how much value that those pearls of wisdom have. Because that person that's two steps behind is in a whole different thought pattern than we are. And it's like, oh, I didn't even comprehend that. I didn't think about that. Oh, that's a good idea. Or or in reverse, oh, no, 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 that does not resonate with me. I'm going to take a different path. You know, it mm-hmm. provides us with that free will. Absolutely. But it gives us those examples and we learn through community, we learn through conversation and we learn through stories. It's all, it's all about communication, which when I was uh, reading through your stuff, you know, and, and checking into how did I want to kind of move the conversation? What I notice is communication is very, very important in what you your services offer is communication is vital that we're not meant to be a one person show (laughs) that community is important and you had you had mentioned it earlier that that partnership partnership with your friends partnership with your your former bosses your current bosses your co-workers your friends Mm -hmm. um and the value in that and yeah conversation i mean look at what you and i have pulled out in this in this conversation in particular (laughs) it it is essential and and again just going back to that storytelling bit so even you know like non-fiction books still have stories in them they have lots of stories in them we're still we're always telling stories um is that's how we that's how we make sense of the world you know, if we if we take ourselves away from the the written word that we are so reliant on now, you know, when we go back tens of thousands of years, the way that we made sense of the world was the stories that were handed down from generation to generation to explain creation, to explain the natural world, to explain you know humans. It, it was the way that we understood things, and it's still the way. At the part of our mind and the way our brain works is we 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 need stories to help put things into context so the more each of us contributes to that overall story landscape the easier it is for more and more people to navigate yes yes and it's how we keep from repeating history is through story Mm. Um, because you learn the lesson 
a society learned a lesson, uh, you know, a small group of people, a group of friends, you know, uh, it doesn't matter the, the size of the group. Uh, the history is is shared and it brings us and no worries on on the little interruption it's all good it it is life happens and it's really amazing what happens during the recording of podcasts so uh it is all good so for you how did the difference between writing coming home to you and the female edge impact you creativity creativity creatively oh my gosh i can't how did it impact your creativity i'll say it that way i was stuttering um, my words it's too early in the morning to talk i think so um in terms of how how was it creativity create i can't allow this <laughs> I am so sorry. I set that into you. <laughs> How was it different creatively with me writing Coming Home to You to the Female Edge? So Coming Home to You was very much an emergent book. So what happened with that was I just had a really strong pull that I wanted to write a book, which helped to share my story from ill health to health and what I learned along the way. And then what was all the things, what was the different areas of life that people could learn to create new ways of thinking and new habits and new actions that would help them to move to a more positive, more life affirming path. So I didn't know, I didn't have a sense of what that was when I was starting it. I just knew that that was generally the goal. And what I did was every morning I'd wake up and I do my morning meditation and I'd take about 20 minutes and then I'd um, get in front of the computer and then I'd start writing. And I think, oh, this chapter is about money or this chapter is about body image or this chapter is about career. So I actually didn't know what it was until I started writing it. So although I had this general goal, the actual specific chapters only came out through me just going through a process day by day. And that felt quite comfortable. And as I said, I used a coach. So I'd send every time I'd done a chapter, I'd send it to her. She'd give me some feedback and some ideas, not editing, just generally, how does it all fit together? And then I'd go back and do some more. So she never, ever suggested a chapter to me. She left that entirely to me. She just helped me if it either was structured enough or whether it needed a bit more or something like that. So it was very helpful. Whereas the female edge, I was just a lot more methodical about it. I mean, I even went on a, a, a book writing program, which was methodical. You know, it was a tried and tested, tested method from um, somebody who's helped, you know, thousands of authors over the years to actually write a book. And she's mm -hmm. just her method. Um, and also I, I planned out the book before I wrote one word of any chapter. So it was completely the opposite. It was, you know, what were the different chapter headings? What was the core model? Why was it this model? Who was my audience? Why was I writing to them? And, and so all of that was worked out before I actually wrote a word. Um, I think both of them have merit. I think if I wanted to have more of an exploratory um I've got another book in my next year and I think that will use the same planned method but if I think I wanted to explore more the spiritual um side of life which is more the coming home to you or more how life emerges when you allow it to happen I'd use that emergent 
process. But if I want to get a book out, which is about tried and tested methods I've used that I know work for people and I want to share them, I'd probably use the planned method. Interesting. And you you successfully published using two very different ways of putting that pen to paper and, and getting it the message down and, and publishing. So for you, was the editing or the publishing or the marketing the more challenging of the whole process after you've written that, that manuscript? Uh, it always is marketing. I mean, one of the ones as a first time author people struggle with is the beta reader process. So the beta readers are the people you go to before you go to a final edit and proofreading and get their views of it. So it's a pre-published um, review of the book. And that can feel quite scary. So my first book, Coming Home to You, I think I had about six beta readers. Um, some of them I knew very well and some of them I knew more professionally um, or, or through some of the work that I was doing. And um, that felt like I was giving a little piece of my soul to them. And I was thinking, oh, please be gentle. <laughs> this is my soul. Um, so I remember feeling very cautious about that. That can be quite a big one. And, and I think first time authors, that does feel like a struggle, you know, because you don't know how they're going to respond. But the reality is that is an essential step because giving it to somebody who gives you feedback, who knows you and cares about you is a much better way of doing it than actually not going through that process and then it going out into the world and then getting very, very poor response or, or um, unfavorable reviews. So it's really essential, but it can feel quite um, uh, challenging. The, the Female Edge was, it's a professional book. It's for professional women. There was lots of professional women who reviewed it and it was a very straightforward process. So there wasn't quite that same sense of vulnerability. But marketing is always the challenge because books these days are in a very, very noisy space. Um, you know, you've got if you if you uh, publish mainly on Amazon, we do these days, uh, which is, I think is a shame for individual bookshops. But that tends to be the way it's going, even if you get it to individual bookshops. So my first book was very much a bookshop driven approach. This one is more Amazon driven approach. Um, it's very noisy. There's, there's, you know, you're competing with hundreds of thousands of other authors out there who've done books which may be similar to the way that you do it or have a slightly different angle or the author may be known in a different way. So you're having to think about how do I get my book and my voice heard in that very noisy stage? So if you're an author who says, oh, I don't need to do the marketing, the book will sell itself, um, good luck with that is all I'd say, because unless you hit lucky and you hit with somebody who's a big influence and they love the book and they and they push it for you, it's only going to get out there if you do the work that I'm doing now with you and with other podcasters and with my social media and with the conversations and sending it out to my clients and all the other things I need to do to let people know that I've written a book and I want them to know about it. Yes, marketing is one of those aspects of it is it is probably more provides us with more of a sense of vulnerability than having the beta reader read the book, you know, mm -hmm. that initial reading of of you know, quote unquote our baby. Mm -hmm. And because with the beta reader we have control and who who sees it. 
where with marketing, we're putting ourselves out there and we have no control. Well, if you have control, let me rephrase that. If you have control in who sees your marketing, you're not marketing. <laughs> you're just telling your friends, neighbors, family members, and coworkers that, hey, I did this book. Mm-hmm. But if you're truly doing marketing, you're more vulnerable because you're sharing it with anybody and everybody that you reach. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is very challenging. It's probably where I struggle the most is is that marketing element, getting myself out there. And like, you know, I have so many friends just like anybody else that says, you know, you got to think big, think big, think big. And I'm like, I'd rather stay hidden in my camper in, you know, in Texas or New Mexico or, you know, in Arkansas or Louisiana, wherever I've been, you know, and or will be. And, you know, I, yeah, we tend in, and a lot of that is because writers tend to be those that are working on our books. We're putting ourselves out there. That's scary. And because we don't want to be criticized by somebody else for the journey we've been on and the choices we've made. And that can be something that we have to overcome because yeah, we'd rather play small, but yet be successful. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's quite hard to, to, um, uh, to pull that trick up. It does happen, but not very often. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, it it is a hard one, and and I think it's it it's not just something that you know you get to the launch and then you're done. You have to continue going well after the launch. I think that was a big learning for me in my first book, and then I got some PR support. And my second book, I actually um, I, again I got a social media person the second time because I thought it's going to be a social media driven approach, and and actually she gave me a structured three month plan to work to, and that's what I work to now. Um, but I, again, I got help with that because although I'm pretty good on social media and things like that, when you when you you know selling a book or selling the concepts behind the book you just need to get into a slightly different space to the space you're in when you were writing it oh yes 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 Mm. and it is beneficial to have that other person to help with setting up because we're focused here where our audience member may be focused way over here and Mm -hmm. we're if we're just sitting over here we're not going to reach the actual reader and having that outside source you know kind of bring the two groups together and and see it in a different light that we as the writer might not again our our personal interpretation of what we've done is very different from how others perceive it because our opinion of of our work is based on how do we feel about ourselves how do we talk to ourselves in the mirror um when we when we're falling asleep what do we say to ourselves you know all of that that inner work has a huge impact on how we perceive our work where somebody else is like whoa mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so cool I needed this thank you thank yeah you <laughs> and you're like okay <laughs> yeah it's very true we we um we're not always the best judge of our own work both in a positive and a negative way 
you know, we tend to go to the extremes of, you know, seeing it as flawless when it isn't or seeing it as really awful when it isn't. And we're very, very poor at finding that 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 middle line between the two and really understanding, which is why we need other people around to help us and and um, help with our confidence at times as well. Community, community. I can't yeah. say it enough times. It is so important. Yeah. Before we run out of time, because we're we're pushing the clock, I just happen to look at time, and this, you know, and it's so funny. I say that if you listen to the podcast, it's typically what I say at the end of pretty much, probably ninety percent of the. I just looked at the clock, saw what time it is, and wow, we've been talking for a long time. <laughs> Before we end the podcast, I want to make sure people know how to find you on the internet. Where, how can they find you? Um, well, I would say that the best place to go is my main website, which is findyourjoyfullife.com. So it's a long one, but I, I break it down, findyourjoyfullife.com. And on there, you can find details of both the books, Coming Home to You and The Female Edge. There's lots of blogs around different things you can do to live a happier, healthier, more fulfilled life. And there's a number of the tools that I talk about in The Edge, which are just freely available for people if they want them as well. Okay. And then you also have your agents2change.com website. I do. Yes. Yeah. That one tends to be my my corporate clients use that one a lot. So I use that one for them. But I think I haven't put as much on there, which is just like get this, get that free because they they just tend to want my white papers or talk to me about big change. But agents2change.com is where I um, service my corporate clients. Oh, and it's number two, I should say agents with the number two change.com. Yes. And I will have both websites listed on the show notes page, uh, and we will uh, make sure that that is on there. So anything that you wanted to share that I did not bring up during this conversation, and we brought up a lot of stuff. <laughs> now, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to you, Cindy, because what you're doing is, you know, you've said you're not good at marketing, but you really are putting yourself out there. Podcast is a, is a big deal to, to do. There's a lot of work behind it and you're putting yourself out there. And the way that you're you're looking for authors and helping to showcase their work, but also the writing process behind it, I think is going to be helping countless people out there with their own writing journey. So thank you for the service that you're providing to the writers and would-be writers out there. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. That is something when I set out to do the podcast, it was what was important. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to, I mean, one element, yes, is that I want to help writers to promote their books, because that is why, you know, we appear on the podcast and and so forth. But what's the story behind it? What what struggles did you face when you wrote? Because again, we sit in front of our writing apparatus, whether it's pen and paper, or whether it's a dictation machine, whether it's our laptops or our, our computers, you know, a keyboard, what or a typewriter. I know some who use a typewriter. Whatever writing apparatus, we sit for long periods of time by ourselves, tuning out 
everything around us. We're tuning out the guy mowing the lawn down the road. We're tuning out the kids in the other room. We're, we're tuning out, you know, the significant other in the other room who wants our attention. We're, you know, we're tuning out the world. Or if we're sitting in a coffee shop writing, you know, we're tuning out our surroundings. So we get so caught into that and we forget so easily how this what we're experiencing is generically similar to what somebody else is experiencing as well and we kind of loop into that whole mindset of oh what am i doing and then when we hear that somebody else went through the same thing it's like oh my gosh they did it oh oh yes yes thank you (laughs) it gives us that encouragement and again, we learn through other people's journey when when they've tra- traversed similar terrain. We're like, oh, so that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. So it's it's sharing the story of how we got from point A to point B, how we um, how we got through our own struggles and the story behind the stories. I you know it's. Those are all important things. And yeah. and I love to talk, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always, you know, conversation is how we share not only our stories, but the lessons that we've learned yeah. and communicate our thoughts and yeah. our beliefs. So, yeah, Mary, oh, my gosh, thank you. <laughs> I am so grateful to have you here. And the amount of information about self you know our our self-esteem and in our thoughts of self and and how we interpreted that it really has come through strong as a message within this and do it you know like you said you know quoting Stephen King just do it just just do it don't talk about it don't think about it just do it <laughs> yeah yeah like anything in life if you need to get it done just go and do it yes yes don't hesitate just you know stand up straight put your shoulders back raise your head up and say i got this i can do it and and just take even if it's an itty bitty little baby step that's an you know an inch (laughs) it's better than standing idle going "Eh, i can't do this which is easy to do much easier to do than saying I can do this but anyways thank you thank you wonderful I really appreciate it before we end our time together I'd like to say thank you for listening to my conversation with Mary McGuire to access her website and purchase the book she has written visit pentapaperpress.com backslash podcast and select the show notes page for this episode to receive future episodes in your inbox subscribe to the newsletter and follow this podcast on your favorite application you are invited to share your favorite episodes with individuals you believe will resonate with the content take care and until next time keep your pen to paper and write your words have power and your story matters bye for now <laughs>